be Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, of Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Front Neyrug. Hello, hello. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Howdy. Now it is festival season and the Taiwan Film Festival is starting tomorrow in Sydney. It's the third annual festival. It is running from the 25th to the 28th of July at Event Cinema's George Street. And we have with us the festival director and founder, Benson Wu, to talk all things Taiwan Film Festival. Benson, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back on the show again. It's pretty exciting. It's it's exciting on your end. It's been a huge year of planning (laughs) and God, it's, it's finally here. How do you feel? Um, I'm really, really happy that we survived the first year and we can continue. <laughs> wow. And it's so you're starting, it's all happening, it's tomorrow night. And uh, we want to talk about some of the individual films you have screening. But first, um, now it's, it's, it's you know, your progress and um, last year's run. What are, what direction has this year's festival taken? How do you select films and what has been your creative process behind choosing the lineup for this year's Taiwan Film Festival? So this year, um, I guess a little bit more risky because um, after the first year, we hear, we hear the feedback and the review from from the audience. They they actually not that interesting. A lot of mainstream films that we pick or we select. Um, so this year we really focus on more, I guess, more of an artistic perspective or artistic artistic style of the cinematography or narrative to to present this kind of Taiwanese cinema or Asian cinemas. Um, so the film we selected, um, like say for the opening film, On Hong Village, is uh, shot in 16mm and the whole film is quite, in a way, quite abstract, right? but then it's really pretty. Yeah? Every element, everything has its own meaning and representative that you kind of have to watch it and think what it means and how it connects to the story, that kind of style. Mm-hmm. It looks like a gorgeous film. Looking forward to seeing it with the crowd and yeah, it's set in a rural fishing village, uh, an, oy- yeah. an oyster, oyster, oyster farm. <laughs> yeah, um, which is a part of the world I'm not really at all familiar with. Can you tell us a little bit more about what we have to come to expect for this movie? So it's about how um, the, this kind of want to present in the male dominant society or culture in Taiwan, but how those three men disagree, their pride, their jealousy, and how they kind of interact with each other and affect each other's life. So it's really quite deep for me, I found it's like how, and yeah, and also the film itself is actually quite ironic, even though if you see a, or you read the synopsis, you might seem like, oh, it's quite a, a male-based kind of story, but then the film itself actually is kind of laughing at this kind of society or this kind of ideology of men think they dominate the society, that kind of, perspective so yeah it's quite powerful really right and i read in the notes on the site that the director has taken a a approach inspired by andrei tarkovsky and it's very much about the setting more than the character would you say that's accurate yeah yeah yeah, definitely um so you found a lot of not not just the home village but actually the whole program this in this year's selection and a lot of film you actually you might find it difficult to find who is the central character of, of the film? Um, mm. So especially for On Home Village, I think you can actually almost divide it into three parts. Um, uh, so it follows like the father, the best friend, and, and, the, and the son. But then, the, according to the director, the, the, the center of the film is actually the, the surrounding the town instead of the character. Yeah. Right. Um, 
I was really struck looking at this program by the choice to focus on Simon Liang this year. Yeah. Yeah, with his new uh, film, uh, Your Face, and also his short film, Light, as well as a restoration of The River Showing. Um, yeah. Can you talk about why you've decided to put the spotlight on, on his work? So uh, the reason I picked Simon Liang is because um, earlier this year, I don't know if you guys have been to the uh, Art Gallery of New, New South Wales, um, me mm. and Ruby, or mainly Ruby, she, she put on the, the film series program called Neon God. Um, so during that process of selection the film, um, I get to watch more of the Simon Liang and actually understand more of his um, filmmaking style. And then I just found it, I, I, I guess it's personal guilt, guilty pleasure that I'm really in love with Simon Liang's style. So I was just like, oh, why not you know, do like a retrospective of the river? And then I think, I think it's quite powerful to show this film this year because only um, Taiwan recently passed the same-sex marriage. Mm. And the film is really about how how the whole family is uh, struggling, coming out, self-identify themselves as a gay or self-identify them who they are, and how this kind of issue or loneliness isolation um, affect the whole health of the family right. relation. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, went to the art gallery screenings of the Neon Gods uh, series early ah, this year, and I think a, yeah, I think I think um, a. A good amount of people did so it's nice to be able to continue the exploration of his career um yeah, i thought definitely. yeah and the new film your face sounds like a really bold thing to put on at a, a um as sort of national focus film festival yeah. as well just mostly yeah. a series of portraits of older people's faces is that right yeah yeah it is so it, it was a hard decision when i was like oh am i gonna Put this film on because I'm not sure if people want to come to the cinema to just watch faces. Yeah. Um, but I love this film so much. I, I when I first watched it, I, I cried. I, I think it's so powerful. You really just staring those 13 people's faces, and there's no narrative, but you kind of create this narrative yourself in your head, and then how you kind of connect with their emotion. Because some of them are really old. Um, some of them you see the the passion of life, they, they, they want to talk to Chaimin Lang, they want to talk to the camera, no matter if Chaimin Lang is going to tell back or not, you know. So this is it, very, quite a perfect contrast of how the person is passionate about life or not. And yeah, it's really good. <laughs> mm, yeah, I really appreciate the boldness in programming that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> going back to uh, this idea of uh, masculinity and the role of men in society and basically making fun of that. Uh, I was yeah. struck by the choice of picking the scoundrels, which did really well at Busan this year. So I, it's yeah. an interesting pick. Uh, it's a very, I guess, I would call it a satire, but a lot of people would call it more like a neo-noir gangster movie. So it's interesting to yeah. look at the role of men and how that makes fun of that. Um, oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> so I really, it's pretty simple when I picked this film is because I kind of want the, the whole program to be a bit more diverse. Um, so really, I really, I only just picked it because uh, Taiwan doesn't really have a lot of action film. And then this one really stands out how the whole cinematography, how, how the, how the way it was presented is not like, cause there's another quite mainstream action film from Taiwan's go Gaucho. Um, originally I was going to pick that, but then I just found that the narrative wasn't strong enough. And, um, the scoundrel has more interesting narrative and in how it kind of presented the the masculinity. It's 
not the ideology kind of you had to be really muscular you had to be really big but it's not like that long stronger so that was like I think he's the right choice. <laughs> Talking about films that are critical of the patriarchy, Nina Wu stood out to me. Uh, that that film sounds like it's quite topical in confronting exploitation of women in the entertainment industry. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, it was probably the biggest film from Taiwan this year because it got selected for Cannes Film Festival and also opened for Taipei Film Festival. Um, it was quite inspiring inspiring film i think in a way there's really no story from taiwan that kind of so powerfully uh represents female identity and how they were kind of being treated in the film industry and also originally she kashi Wu, which was uh, also starring as nina Wu in the film she wrote the script and then the film itself was about like I think when Medizet originally filmed it, she, he was saying this film can be like six hours long. That's how long the script and how how well done it is. But he had to cut it back down to just like an hour and a half. And but yeah, this film is is quite. I think I think people will will take on or look at it in a many different different way or different different take on how they kind of digest with this film because not only it portray the female identity but also how um the society of the in taiwan the pressure and the media um uh kind of kind of the media conspiracy or mm. that kind of a lot of elements that's really added into this film and yeah i think to really to, to talk about this one we can write like a full-on sa for it because there's just so much element in there that you can really break it down into discuss about it yeah right right one film I'm looking forward to is the Closing Night feature because ah, it okay, is, yep. yeah, it's a film where the performers have got quite a number of plaudits for their roles in this feature. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the closing film, The Island That Overflow by, we we all loved it. We watched this film actually originally last year and we wanted to put it in the program, but it wasn't, we didn't get a chance to do it. So I'm really, I think it was a risky move to put kind of slightly older film as a closing, but then it also kind of shows you how good, how strong this film is. And it was originally, I think, 2017, uh, selected or nominated for Best, best Feature and Best Director. Um, the only reason it didn't win because it was competing against The Great Buddha Plus and The Border Club and The Beautiful, which was played last year in Taiwan Film Festival. Um, the film itself is, is really, really strong how it originally was made for as a TV movie, so they didn't plan to put this film in the cinema. It was just for a TV um, TV movie, um, but then it got such a good feedback, and a lot of festivals in Taiwan actually start selecting this film because it is very strong. And how the the story is about um, uh, a single parent's mother, how he how, how she lost her job, and then but still have to kind of financially support the family. And then that's when another guy comes into her life and kind of, I don't want to spoil too much, but kind of help her out in a way. Um, but how the film is really beautifully cinematography, like portray how she struggle to either sink into this kind of uh, prostitution a little bit, um, but then how to put herself out and then to stand up again and to continue with her life. Yeah. So it's very powerful, yeah. Now, we've asked about some of the films we're keen to see, but of the films we haven't mentioned, is there one that you'd like to highlight to our listeners or one that uh, viewers should definitely seek out? Yeah, I think um, 
people, who, especially very into uh, documentary or political issues, especially in Asia, I think our use in Taiwan, which won best documentary at two biggest film festival in, in Taiwan last year, uh, is worth seeing. And then the other one is Lost of Black Cat, 35, 35th Squander. Um, so this film talks, takes you back to 1960, 1970 during the Cold War in Taiwan and how the soldier was kind of fighting for Taiwan, but at the same time kind of fighting for America. And so they were on this pilot or aircraft that fly over China um, to kind of spy on their nuclear uh, development. So it's quite a powerful story, and then you don't really get to see this kind of documentary made mm. um, that often. So, yeah, I think it's, it's worth seeing it. <laughs> I thought our youth in Taiwan sounds very topical as well at the moment with the yeah, protest <laughs> movements in Hong Kong going on. It, it, yeah. Because, yeah, I don't. I didn't post much about this on social media because I'm just too scared. People will, like, yeah, that's un- me on that's understandable. I think. <laughs> <laughs> too political, but, but yeah, it's 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 a really powerful film because I think that this is another film that kind of media mislead. It. People will think this is a film that uh, kind of pro Taiwan or pro independent kind of documentary, but it actually it's not. It's really a film very personal about the two activists why they do it and then the, the motive behind them, but also what happened when the all the, all the flourish or the media coverage is gone, do they still keep holding on for their passion to change the society or do they actually fade it out just like the media, you know? So it's very powerful. I, I, quite, I quite really hard on this documentary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've talked a lot about the film's play at the festival. For people who want to go, how do we get tickets? How do we get there? Um, Come visit the festival website. It's www.taiwanfilmfestival.org.au, and then you can buy the tickets directly from our website. Great. Okay, great. Well, it kicks off tomorrow night at Event Cinema's George Street. We're going to be there. Come to open night. There'll be some drinks, and then we'll have the movie, and then it'll be films throughout the whole weekend. So, and yeah. come fi- come find us. Come meet Benson, and we're really looking forward to it. Benson, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. So we're here with Lungin Lim, the director of Ahong Village, which is opening the festival tomorrow night, and he's in Australia. Lungin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. So, first of all, Ahong Village, can you tell us your film? What is it? What is it all about? Sure. So it's a feature film shot in Taiwan, and it's situated in the southern Taiwan, in the very like remote coastal village. Uh, in a village, there is a very very special like religious carnival going on every f- four years. So what happened is that every four years, like the villagers will gather together and they'll build a ship, and send it to the beach to be burned. So they believe that. In this act, they can, the patrolling generals from heaven will come down and carry all the bad spirits away like on board the ship and while well, they burn it. And so during this carnival, there's a story about three men in the village. So one is a kid who never came home for seven years and finally come home, but he's like dressed himself up as a successful businessman and trying to show off to his family and everybody that he's a very successful guy in the outside world and the other one is his like father who's been harvesting oysters which is the main industry there in the village for his entire life and having his personal struggles secretly also and the third is uh, the main character's childhood buddy but 
in sharp contrast against him, he never left the, the village. He's just a loser figure youngster and dreaming of, of the successful life that his friend has. So during this course of the festival, we see the conflict between the three men involves and finally ex explodes. That's like the story. Interesting. Um, so what were some of the inspirations that you drew from in developing this film? I think it's a, it's a common state of mind that I feel that it's very contemporary, that we all have this uh, struggle of like how to come home how to like uh, relink to the the place where, where you departed maybe years ago. And I got this strong feeling when I was in Prague because I was uh, studying film there in the Czech Republic for seven years. So in the final phase of our course, like everyone need, need to make films about themselves already, like their graduation work. And what made me feel very interesting is that although like the topics vary from like very extreme, like, different genres, but everyone was writing something about their home, like how they imagine their, like whether it's homecoming or struggles or happiness. So I feel that it's a very contemporary thing that this issue with the, the home they once lived in and how to reconnect with it. So based on this, I traveled back to Taiwan and lived in the village for like a year and a half and draft out this story. And it's, 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 it's amazing. And I really want to talk about the way you approached shooting this film, because unlike many, it is shot on gorgeous and glorious 16 millimeter. <laughs> yeah, it's an old standard that I actually got quite used to, actually, because I, I graduated from a very like old school, sometimes too old school film school in Europe. And in our first two years of study, like we are not even allowed to use digital camera, actually. So that made a huge, uh, interesting difference in the way we work. Because um, if you are like limited to your like resource you can use, like you gradually learn to like uh, concentrate on what you actually really what you really want. And so not when it shoot everything, when yeah, and when that comes to like working as a team that actually has a very interesting chemistry i would even say because yeah. everyone knows that um the thing you're you're shooting on the thing you're working on is actually quite limited so uh there's a very strong sense of focus on the set which i think is really beneficial to the the, the work we're doing and of course on the aesthetic level like as everyone knows that uh, you have the rich colors you have the grains which uh, resonates very much with the location and environment I'm shooting on. Mm. Um, could you talk a little bit about the aesthetic approach to this film? Because a lot, all of the mm -hmm. um, write-ups about the film have commented on um, a <laughs> very location kind of based style, yeah. landscape kind of style. Yeah, I, I want something really like uh, raw and direct. So even um like i even live in a, in a village as i mentioned like a year and a half already so the whole film actually have a, like a semi-documentary feeling already so when we are thinking about how to how we use the camera like um i want the audience to feel like they're already there like and the whole atmosphere of the picture like incorporates with with the rawness of the environment so that influenced how we place the camera also because um, 
after all, the story is about the environment. So I, I intentionally put the camera like fixed steady and at hidden spots. So the audience feel as if they are part of the hidden spirit of the land itself and observing the movement, the emotions of these people while they come and go and do different things. And that's like my basic approach here. It's interesting because I wanted to understand when you're working with actors, how does it change mm -hmm. uh, when you're working with this kind of a style? How do you give mm -hmm. them directions in what you want to get out of them? Because the focus is not necessarily, they don't get to have, you know, those mainstream kind of scenes where they can shine. They have to mm -hmm. basically be on 24-7 and you don't really understand right. when they have their breakout moments, much like, you know, mm -hmm. so they don't know when their close-up shots are coming and stuff like that. When, you right. Know, so do they have different directions that you want to get out of things and your actors? Mm -hmm. Yeah, surely, because uh, they need to become a part of the place first, because uh, I always believe that the characters come from the locations, not the other way. I know that the majority of the directors work the other way around, but for me, like it's always about the location and the environment. So before the shooting, like... Uh, Almost one month before that already, like I sent all the actors to the village. So in the whole course of like around three weeks, they were like living with the locals. They're learning how to harvest the oysters even and drive the boats. So to the degree that at one point they, when I feel like they already like talk and feel like the nat natural like people around in the village, then we start to shoot. Wow. And it's, it's quite spontaneous, actually, because uh, as you mentioned, like sometimes it's not like like a regulated like shooting like plans. Sometimes uh -huh. they're just doing things, and when we feel that it's time, and when 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 everything is right, I signal my cameraman, and he like silently press the button, and every, everything rolls. Wow, that's dedication. Wow. It's always like that. It reminds me. It's obviously an incredibly different environment, but. It reminds you of the stories behind how Wolfgang Peterson shot uh, Dispute and that he situated the actors in the environment for a long time before we mm -hmm. actually started shooting. They remained in that mm -hmm. environment uh, throughout the shoot, um, so they were so accustomed mm -hmm. to it. And he would shoot, while he would shoot script, traditional scripted scenes, he would otherwise yep. have sequences where the camera would just roll on their day-to-day -day movements um, throughout the right. shoot. And it sounds like you've taken a, a distinct, but in, in some respects, quite similar approach to yeah. really situate us I've, in this I've world. I've heard Malik right. also works in a similar sort of way of just mm -hmm. sometimes just letting things roll. Yeah. Right. It's a quite painstaking process, I have to say, and you have to have a producer with, with a strong heart i would even say that right i had a lot of challenge uh, during the shooting and often being challenged like why you are literally almost wasting everybody's time already right <laughs> but but uh, overall like after all we still managed to squeeze in everything within like 22 days did, and finish that did you find it difficult to acquire the funding and the resources to make this film definitely mm. um at first, like it's uh, been a while since we have films like this, and because the reason movement in Taiwanese cinema are much uh, are more toward the like genre approach, so like uh, there were questions always like why you are like reviving something like the in the eighties style already mm -hmm. like of filmmaking. Right. So at the end, we only find uh, the resource to to enable the shooting after like more than one year of negotiating and preparation 
and eventually got foundings from local businessmen and entrepreneurs, surprisingly. Right, interesting. So I, when I was pitching to them, I was telling them honestly, like, like I want to make the story like which reflects like the place where you grew up, and this is the contemporary scene of your hometown, and I want to show it to, to the other people, and that somehow moved them like deeply. So at the end, it became quite successful, even smooth. Right. But right before the shooting. <laughs> it's good that um, that kind of sincere effort in filmmaking still moves people. Yeah. Yeah. So the film has its Australian premiere tomorrow night at Event Cinemas as part of the Taiwan Film Festival. Um, audiences can get there are still things available. Audiences can go out and see it. What are you hoping that viewers and certainly first-time viewers in Australia will take away from Mohong mm-hmm. Village? Mm-hmm. I think it will be quite uh, interesting to see how the local viewers see films like this because um, it's as as you've seen from the picture already. It's like quite. Um, like Taiwanese style village and even like strongly based in a very, very like a um, local village. So it would be very interesting to see like what the audience from a completely different culture will see and get from that. And I'll be happy to hear what the audience will want to say after screening. Okay. Well, I will too. And looking forward to the film tomorrow night. Well, thank you so much mm-hmm. for joining us and mm-hmm. yeah, um, can't wait to share some amazing cinema with you. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing it. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. So that was our coverage of the Taiwan Film Festival. We're looking forward to seeing the festival over the coming days in Sydney. But uh, we want to talk for the remaining part of the show, and we'll be continuing this discussion on our podcast, which you can subscribe to on iTunes and Spotify, on a slightly different matter. Now, the real cinematic event of the week. Yes. Now it's com. It's Comic-Con. just the week, the year, probably the decade. The decade. It, it is. It is the thing. Yeah. Because I woke up on Friday morning oh, and God. there were all the Comic-Con trailers are landing for The Witcher which actually looks really cool and a bunch of other stuff but the most important one that has landed do, 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 do. Tom Hooper's Cats yeah which means I've actually not slept since Friday morning I've been awake because I'm so terrified I don't want to go to sleep because there's cats will because you anything. love cats how Dare you? Okay, okay. So, no, so if you haven't you seen love Taylor Swift, <laughs> more likely. How how could you even put the two? I grant she's in the movie, but then you can compare the two acts in level of quality is absurd and okay. outrageous. Look, if you haven't seen the Cats trailer yet, uh, people have been pretty disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, basically, Tom Hooper has chosen to adapt cats by creating CG characters that approximate the look of people in cat costumes as if they were real creatures. Yeah, like either watch the trailer or don't for your insanity. Yeah, so so basically they look like um, they're, hum- they're, you know, they're humans that walk around on two legs, but they've got a, a tail coming out of their butt cheeks for some reason. Um, they have cat ears and c- sort of furry cat faces with their human faces superimposed onto the cat face. Um, but it's a USS Calster thing where they have none of the cat parts that you would expect right. cats to have. I mean, it's it was just an experience watching Dame Judi Dench look like it, that. It just looks so strange. I've seen um, a few people have identified probably what's the most off-putting thing about the faces. If you look at Avatar, James Cameron there, you know, just using motion capture to animate a face that was somewhere between the cats and the humans. They had cat-like <coughs> noses. Um, 
for some even cats on Broadway they use makeup in order to approximate you know the, the feline kind of triangular nose right like the yeah and if you want an example of how this was done well look at I think it's Bagheera in John Travolta's The Jungle Book right. where um all the characters were captured with motion capture and it was done quite well which well, is yeah what's been done here looks like they've motion captured but the face has just been superimposed <laughs> onto the CG creature. Jason Derulo in particular looks really freaky. So there's something like the face has been just, just filmed. Jason Derulo. I, they, they I, all do. Look, I'm not really sure. Tail looks fine. I don't think the. Oh my god. I don't think they... the face is motion capture. It look. It really looks like it's just no. Filmed. It's, it's their face. Do you think that even the actors <laughs> even knew face. what was how this was going to be approximated? How I think it was they should have. I think they should have asked more questions if they didn't. Um, it just just seeing a human nose on a cat's face and human teeth is kind of really kind of. But, but the thing is, like you know, how can you explain they, that? To, like the, you know, without the end product, it just looks freakish because they they should have either gone more human like like the wind in the willows film um yeah. from, from that, oh, the monty python uh, one i was trying uh, to say michael Pollan uh, and graham chapman not graham yeah, Pippen, yeah, sorry. Yeah. it was Palin, terry jones no, ter- eric idol eric idol that's the one yes yeah like that just people with with a few cat, uh, animal features or they should have gone more cat and lent into the more mo- mocap like avatar kind of direction and you know what i'm happy to talk about my feelings on cats but i like that the the one charming and redeeming aspect of it is that they just put people on stage in cat costumes and there's an appeal to it just like the yeah. using the wigs in Ready Player One I think just an old fashioned you know we, it, it's you suspend you can suspend disbelief enough and you can accept hey it's old fashioned Alice in Wonderland style costumes it actually does work I think there's a major distinction between what works on the stage and what would work in a film because on stage. Um, that there's a level of suspension of disbelief that's accepted and that's expected even, right? That, it, it you know, you're in a costume as a cat and you're running around singing and dancing. Okay, we're, we're watching cats. Great. On film, I think people, you know, there's more of an expectation of realism, um, at, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but if you're going to go abstraction, I think an animated film... Um, would make a lot more sense. Apparently, Steven Spielberg in the '90s was looking to produce an animated film of cats, where and you can see visual development of that on the internet, where they experimented with um, Lion King esque cats that walk around on all fours, and also some versions where it's cats that um, you know walk on two legs, more anthropomorphized, but they still were cats. They weren't these kind of in between cat um, human hybrids. It just seems like a really misbegotten concept like why would you try and approximate the look of a human face sticking out of a cat's body on stage as if that's what cat is what cats is instead of cats just being a show using whatever means you have accessible to you to create cats running around on stage dancing and you know, cats singing going back to the discussion we had last week about the idea if you create a very multitude of life that is as good or as if it is as realistic as it can be that people will find it endearing but I just find it so fascinating this trailer came out in the same week as The Lion King which is the complete other end of the spectrum where people granted we haven't seen it but people are complaining and discussing about how it's too photorealist and here you have the other end of the scale where it's human faces and it's ultra realistic on cats I've got to say there is a big gap in between there's a big <laughs> Yep. middle ground here the original lion king did it john Favreau's the jungle book did it um and granted we haven't seen cats i'm happy to sit down and review it when it does come out yeah but it does not bode well with, if this is the footage that they decided to release okay let me play devil's advocate 
Tom Hooper definitely has a vision, if that's where we're going. <laughs> so you're calling, I mean, you're calling, calling, calling Tom, with we're just calling no, Tom no. Hooper the devil, just to be clear. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, not that this trailer can be defended, but I'll try. Uh, I think, look, if we're going for a distinctive look, and the idea that, how, like, what is the ideal cat look? Right, you not know, staging is, is, cats, no, no, not no, making it. No, 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 but, no, no, but I think I think, I think it's, it's it's hard to. It's I think hard it's to know easy. The balance, right? No, but I think it's like I said before. It's just the thing that I think throws people the most is the human noses. I know. Like, every, whenever if you ever you look up cat makeup, but you'll still, see that that um, people immediately draw yeah. a black line. Yeah, it's actually, but, but you who does is, that? Wilfred in the show. Wilfred, the dog has a little black nose, yeah. and it works. But but, yeah. but the thing is, like you know. That's part of the thing where I feel a lot of this could depend on our willingness to suspend but, our disbelief. But, and, and you know, maybe it's interesting enough, like, if we're going to talk about being ambitious and, like, you know, actually wanting people to suspend their disbelief and see, you know, why why not see them as cats? Yeah, they're, like, they're more human-like cats, but they're cats, but, right? But even cats on stage... Gives people a little cat nose with makeup. Yeah. I know, I know, but, but this one doesn't. Ma- ma- you know, <laughs> ma- maybe that's part of the the fun. It's doing something different. But, Not saying yeah. that it's working. No, but I I agree. It, it's he still is going for something different. Look. I just. I just think it's not distinctive in a good way. But, it doesn't seem like yeah, a I good agree. idea. Uh, you know, yeah. The, but like, like, there's nobody Nicolas waking Cage up. Cat memes. Yeah. I question, well, I question how finished the CG is because some of the Face cats off. in the shot, yeah. some of the cats <laughs> yeah. look good. Some of some of the faces, I mean, good is like, relative here, but some of the faces look Idris acceptable. Idris Elba just looks like Idris Elba. Yeah, some of the faces look acceptable, <laughs> but there's moments like when we see Jennifer Hudson singing that um, her, oh, my her, the oh, face Jimmy. just looks, it looks like a deep fake. It looks like this kind of weird digitally superimposed face on a body oh, where it shouldn't like, be there. Like with the Actually, Jim Carrey deep fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what it looks like? It looks like those terrible late 90s, early 2000s where all the talk show hosts would "Quote unquote," interview a famous person. Their face and their mouth would move. It'd be someone else oh, moving yeah, superimposed yeah. in the face. That's kind. It's, it's only a little bit okay. better than that. The it's, cat's legacy is camp, right? But it's, then, it's not, dress them, then dress them up in costumes or make them look like Bagheera in the Jungle Book. But the tech there, exists there is, no, and the no, costume there, designers there is no are rule out there. book about how a cat ought to look like. Honestly, uh, it, is there? there yeah, it, but there if, if, if everyone look, if there's a the thing about anthropomorphization and animation is that. Typically, the goal has been to create appealing designs, and a lot of people reacted with repulsion. So, you know, does that matter? Does that not matter? It does. If studios are reacting, look, it's like the Hedgehog. We've got to bring this up at this point because people. Sonic looked a lot better. Sonic didn't look that bad. And people objected, and the studio have decided to um, rejig the whole design. The thing is, now I haven't seen it, and I'm happy. I would be happy to sit down and watch either version. But audience reaction does matter. This may be a test case. They actually may rejig it in terms of what people have seen. I wonder because I think they're really aiming for the Christmas Oscar bait kind of. um, It's kind of programming to Star Wars being released on the same day. That's a mistake. I think that's a bigger mistake than actual any kind of creative license this movie is taking. I'm happy with it to be any kind of caddy. Look, they go for. I don't care as long as they don't make it Oscar bait. You would be great. It is. It's Tom Hooper. You would be great. He exists to create Oscar bait. If, okay, if, I can't defend this movie in, anymore. In the rise, okay. if in the rise of Skywalker there was some anthropomorphized cat alien which handled it better than cats does, yeah, that would, would be, be nice. hilarious. The, and, but, and Tom Hooper, like I like the King's Speech. Les Mis was a terrible adaptation of a great musical. He's and now he's adapting one. a terrible musical. So. No, he's, he's, he's adapting. God, are we ready to talk about cats? Are we at this point? Let's go there. It's okay. T.S. Eliot has done better work. 
we can't. It's not his it's fault. Not his it is fault. not his fault. It's fault. Cats, Cats <laughs> is the most overrated musical of all time. It's one of the most overrated creative works of all time. I hate it. It has no through line. It has no plot. It takes pictures and little bits of T.S. Eliot poetry, most of which is very good, and throws it into tunes that like Andy decided camp. to spurn out. The entire, the, most of the, the songs in Cats are actually pretty bad. And the, the cats the, come and go the, like rumors of Michelangelo. Like, yeah, they, they're... The, bad, the only thing, like the most, everyone knows memory, but most of the songs are actually bad. Yeah, um, Rum Tugger Tugger isn't very terrible. Good. Song. Jellicle Cats has it's a really terrible, annoying. terrible, annoying riff. Um, I'm just here for Glenn actually dissing on an actual musical. I never thought this would happen. No, because but the thing I is, like, Cats is not Cats, very Cats, popular Cats, with Cats, fans of musical Cats theatre. Cats is not. Um, I would even it was put a it craze. Music- like this whole project seems misbegotten because it was a craze 35 years ago, 30 years ago, 38 years ago. God. 20, 20, 25 years ago. You know, it was a craze for a while. Yeah. But these days, it seems like one of those things that mostly comes up as a punchline. And it's not... I don't a, think people really have a lot of fond memories of Cats. It's not a musical show. It's, it's more like a sketch show. It, there's no It's like a review, right? It's, a it's review. not a narrative thing. And it's sad from Lloyd Webber, who made Phantom, which I really, really oh, appreciate. Okay. Well, hang on, hang on. Tom, Tom Hooper's per- first, uh, first ever screenplay credit. We'll get to see how he reimagines this as a narrative. And I've got to give credit to Jesus Story Superstar. I don't mind Joseph. Sunset Boulevard has its moments. Um, I didn't like Love Never Dies. It was awful. Cats is much worse. Um, no, hang on. But hang it's on, such worse. It's, I, I, Love Never Dies was... Appalling. If this is supposed yeah, to be like a review comedy sketch show, sketch show. It's basically then, yeah. Then um, this is exactly the kind of campy look the movie should go for. Uh, you're, I think you're just trying to uh, antagonize us with your. No, no, I, I, it's, it's I, like, I, I've, I've been, been reading actually some analysis from, a, from a I'm big sorry, fan. Cats does not yes, go for laughs. I saw an analysis, a pretty good analysis from a big fan of Cats who was saying this is completely wrong because Cats is meant to be a little bit dark, a little bit sexy, a little bit mysterious, and this looks like a childish farce. And they were saying that, like, just because Cats is was marketed to families doesn't mean that it should be, like, Rebel Wilson fat jokes and, like, ha-ha, you know, like, James Corden falls in the bin. And why is James Corden credited first? Among I think it's alphabetical. Alphabetical uh, from last but name? But the, the, the response to that is it should not be alphabetical if it means James Corden gets credited well, I think first. It, was it Idris Elba credited before Judy Dench? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, actually, that makes sense because it goes in Taylor, then Rebel Wilson. Okay, That's, maybe, yeah. 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 But yeah. but um, anyway, I, I think I think you're right in that, or at least because I've just been recently enlightened about this whole sexy cat thing. But doesn't <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh God. Uh, okay? Yeah. All right. Uh, news to our listeners. I uh, was talking about the, the history of sexy cat women as a trope. It's and not a I new was thing. Completely no, clueless it's not. to this Batman whole it's not new world. <laughs> uh, so uh, I had to Wikipedia this cat. But girl your, your YouTube ads thing. will never be the same again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was look. The, actually, it was scary if the, my eyes could not recover. There's something else that was disturbing about this film. Um, I think it just, a lot of, whether this works for you or not is really going to come down to whether you look at the, a tiny cat with um, with human <laughs> hands and a human face dancing around <laughs> on two legs and think that's disgusting or it's, it's, or like you go with it. Or whether you find the musical, or you like musicals, it is incredibly divisive. Yeah. I've just said it's worse than Love Never Dies, and that is with some terrible faux scares. Though Cats, again, at least Love Never Dies had a, had a true line. But with regards to Cats, people either really love it or truly, truly, truly hate, hate it. it. Okay, here's here's what's wrong with Cats. Um, <laughs> but uh, One of many things. What the but hell Garfield is... Garfield is awful too. Garfield is terrible. Okay. The best thing about Garfield is D. Garfield, Garfield, the com- online comic strip, look it up. I remember hearing the hype about this, about this film, about, wow, you know, they've built um, 
production design to scale for the cats, so they're in huge sets. But seeing the trailer raised a lot of questions. Um, one is because at the end of the trailer, you see that 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 the hotels in the background in one crowd scene. Uh, the, sorry, there's a scene in Trafalgar Square, and you can see in the background hotels, which have names like the Grand Pause Hotel or like the Feral Hotel. And also in, in some of the streets they dance down, there's a milk bar, right? So hang on. Why is the furniture giant if this is a world built by cats? If it's like, if they have a milk bar as a, instead of a bar and they have, you know, with the neon lights and they have hotels named after cat things, why is everything built as if this is a world for humans? I, I have no idea what, uh, having not seen the film or having any context for the scene, it could be a representation of the Jellicle Ball or the post-memory seek, which isn't actually included in traditional stages, stagings of cats. Potentially. It's just, it's, there seem to be a variety of locations based on the trailer that are, are cat-themed, like this is a cat world. It, it could be a post-ascension sequence. That could work. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Which I would be surprised if they included in the trailer for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next question. What is the scale of the cats? Because it's wildly varying throughout the throughout the film, which is I've seen some people make comparisons to like mice or squirrels. Like, did Tom Hooper think he was making squirrels the musical? I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a scene where um, the Victoria is walking up to the white cat. She's walking up to a door, and she's about as tall as you'd expect a cat to be. She reaches about where the glass begins on a, on a large wooden door. That's about how tall she is, the glass kind of window part of the door, right? Sure. But in other shots, she's about the length of a knife. She's about as tall as a knife. There's a scene where she's she's holding a knife and you can see the top half of her which body and it, it's about, it towers over her. So basically she would seem to be about as tall as the knife. Which so, is because there's a rebel, scene with Rebel Wilson where she's holding a knife at a dinner table. No, no the, 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 it's the same cat actually who's holding the knife. It's, it's Francesca Haywood, right? Okay. Yeah, so she's... Oh, sorry, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> So it's like a a door that's as tall, like the glass in the door starts where not like as high as a knife would be. That would mean that it's very low door. And other times, like when you see them on the bed, they are tiny. Like yeah. the point is, the scale seems just wildly inconsistent. You also like the lions in Trafalgar Square tower over people, it's and they're about as tall as they would be. Cats in Wonderland, to, uh, like the person. In that shot. And this is not an issue in theatre. It is an issue in film. And you yeah. actually see, going back to Les Mis, a movie I did not like at all, um, the uh, barricade sequence. We, a ABC Red Cafe started out as this grand sweeping one, and you got a scale of what the quantum student revolution was. And then the entirety of the aftermath is just them in this tiny little blockade, because either that's what they could afford or what, or what realistically how it was actually staged in theatre. And that sense of scale... Uh, which varies, can vary on the stage for the purposes of any number you're staging, is fine because, as Chris alluded to earlier, you can't suspend your disbelief. It is more difficult in film where you are in, exposed to more real-life environment and expect more photorealism, and it's a huge problem that Hooper's going to have to overcome mm. in staging this. And you at least, you, I think you at least expect some kind of consistency to make you believe in the world you're seeing. But, um, you know, like sometimes, sometimes like when Rebel Wilson's... Uh, poor hand gets caught in the mousetrap it seems like okay that's about accurate to the size of a cat but sometimes they seem much smaller or much it basically i think the size of the cats is like 
whatever we want it to be for visual impact. So, and maybe that's okay. Maybe we're just nitpicking it. We have we have to come forward with the disclaimer. Yeah. We have not seen. Yeah, the we film. have not seen the film. Maybe all of these things will work better. It's just fascinating how so many people had such a response of shock to yeah, the, the think, visuals here. I, I think no, it gets but the, the shock was also now, the fact. Yeah, but the shock was also the fact that we have a cat movie being made. I think some people like, some people have some profits have been Do people not um, know about this? Yeah, I, I had heard about it. Some some profits of our time had been dreading this and saying it was all it was going to look like a the worst n- nightmare thing. uncanny valley thing yeah, for quite but, a while. But, but that's the thing, right? Like who asked for uncanny it? Valley. Who asked for um, musical theatre fans and Tom Hooper's immediate friends? I've been showing. I've been musical sh- theatre fans. Apparently, no. From, there, from there what pl- you say, no, 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 there, there are people there, who there like are cats. Plenty of traditional musical theatre fans who love cats. It is. A, it is probably the divisive question in the musical theatre world. A lot of like people cats hate cats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you I are, mean, uh, the animal and and the, and the look, animal. Look, 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 <laughs> I, I often get asked like, "What's your worst nightmare?" And I've always said as a half joke, being stuck in a desert island, I think that the cat soundtrack replaying over and over again. And the, the you're nightmare the episode anti, of Desert Island. You're definitely on the yeah. anti-cat musical brigade. I'm. I, I will see this movie because we've discussed it so much now. You feel obligated. Look, look, we, we, we've 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 maybe got that so was the marketing it. hook. It's yeah. just like create, put out something as horrifying as possible. Yeah. So now you're forced to see it. Okay, okay, I commit no, no, against no. my better judgment. I will see this movie. We will review it. Okay, no, but, no, look, no. The, the the thing about this movie is. Not everyone reacts with this disgust. Like I've tried to show this to a number of people to gauge their reactions, and I showed it to my parents, who are of the generation, you know, my, of the generation that real were there for the the full height of the craze of cats, and they both said, "Yeah, okay." Like they didn't they didn't find the CG that off putting. And I, I wonder how common this re- response will be. I like yeah, I may, think may, I, maybe the age group like, is wrong. Yeah, I thought it. No, I, I thought it looked weird. <laughs> like, no. I thought it looked weird, but I wasn't as repulsed by other people. I just kind of like, oh, that looks a bit strange. I've got friends who are keen um, in but the critical world and outside who are keen to see it. I, want, to buy it. I wonder how much of the response to it is just shaped by kind of the group think where every, everyone's enjoying making jokes about cats. So then you play you play up how horrifying you find it. Or... Uh, the, there was, okay, I we, we do have to step back and, wa- and, and try and You did watch it fight. early in the morning. I, yeah, I, I watched it. And you it. immediately said... Dear me. Yeah. Look, I mean, I appreciate that. <laughs> you yes. you saw it right when it was released. Yeah, I, I saw it like right when it had gone live. Seven, eight minutes after it gone live, I hadn't seen any reaction, so I watched it, and so I stepped back, watched it a couple of times, trying to come to objective opinion, and then, um, yes, did revel a little bit in the hilarity that ensued online, including but you the, already hated it. I hated the musical. I'm willing no. to give the movie a chance. I'll say that right now. I will see it. I will go in and we'll give it a fair view. Um, if it is, if the musical, if the songs are heavily based on the songs in the musical, then predictably I probably will not enjoy it because I do not like the musical stylings of Cats. But I'm willing to give this movie a chance. Absolutely. Okay. Interesting Especially question. Taylor. Interesting question. Oh God, you're Taylor Swift love. Anyway, okay. interesting question. If Cats is like the negative end of the spectrum for you in musical terms, what is the other end of the spectrum like the musical you would die for? My favorite musicals are the producers, Les Mis, probably. I'd uh, and really the, the you music. The, Les Mis and in it's there. not a stage musical, but the Music Man. Um, okay. I put up there. The Those, producer is okay. I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very you. Yeah. I like. There's. I, I actually like American musical theater. I think Broadway and what it's done over the past thirty years has absolutely phenomenally excelled. Like you've got Hair, Hairspray, this era. It's some of the best productions of anything in the past century okay. they're glorious um i really like some of lobo's other work probably the musical i've listened to the most even though it's my favorite is probably phantom of the opera 
Can I just say how amazing it is that we've gotten this film before Wicked? <laughs> yeah, Wicked. Oh, Wicked. Oh, is he, I, Maybe I, the Wicked fate craze is just over. I don't. You don't hear anyone talk about it anymore. I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Wicked, and it's more because I told you what I thought was the most overrated musical of all time. I think the most overrated film of all time is The Wizard of Oz. So I don't like the source material. The, for the Wicked, Wizard of Oz. The thing about The Wizard of Oz is like, you know, I don't love it so much as a film, but it's hard to separate it from the massive impact on pop culture and yeah, and also same. the um the innovations of the filmmaking and the strange vision it presented. I mean, I, I have to give respect to The Wizard of Oz for what it represents. Yes. No, I appreciate it that there's very few films that have been so referenced and so ubiquitous in other media. Yeah. Um, even had, though I, I never particularly enjoyed it. I, I think it, it had a just super strong, crazy, fantastical vision at an early point in cinema, and that really left a mark. And yeah. you know what? The sequence where she opens the door and it's color, that still has an impact today. Because yeah. the, the reverence for it is still felt. Yeah. Hello, Mark Boritz and the Yellow Brick Road. Anyway. Off. That was just a reference. <laughs> Didn't get that one. But, um, yeah. Cats. Cats. We'll see it. We'll see it. We'll see Rise of Skywalker first. Caveat. Do you think that cats <laughs> are disgusting? Um, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Tom they, they shed a lot of fur. Tom Hooper is... <laughs> Which I feel a lot of actors will. Tom, as you mentioned before, though, that Tom Hooper destroyed... <laughs> Les Mis. Les Mis. He's a terrible director. It's such a. I've had the great fortune of seeing Les Mis stage in Australia and at the Queen's Theatre in Shaftesbury Avenue, where it was a where it had its most famous home. It's a beautiful musical and opera. The musical adaptation was terrible for so many reasons. First of all, because no actors, with the exception of Anne Hathaway, had the vocal range to pull it off. Um, Russell Crowe is the infamous example, but Hugh Jackman does not nearly have the vocal range to John Bon John, which is the most challenging role in the film or in the musical. I didn't mind the casting of Helen Bonham Carter, Sasha Baron Cohen. They were decent, more theatrically than musically. Eddie Redmayne wasn't particularly great. And they cut out um, uh, some of the elements which made it most endearing. Did any of you see The Danish Girl, by the way, speaking of Tom Hooper? Oh, God, yes. yes yeah. How was it? Um, it was... Oscar bait. It was Oscar bait? Yep. It was... It, it was so... I missed it. ...obviously Oscar bait that I couldn't separate the movie from the Oscar baity tropes that it was presenting. Like, I couldn't see an actual movie in there. I and think it was made with such a specific intention of contending for the Oscars. I, I'd say... I, I'd add to that that I think Eddie Redmayne knew this and was very self-conscious about this. It is a collection of Oscar clips, with the exception of Alicia Vikander, who was very good and is very good. Oh, oh she's, she's, she's fantastic. I, Talking yeah. about also how the mighty have fallen. Now, Russell Crowe playing Roger Ailes. Oh, God. Uh, has anyone seen that? I haven't seen I haven't it. watched it. Oh, God, no. That's horrible as the, well. The thing about... Um, wasn't, wasn't good? Oh, yeah. Just the, the fat suit acting. Like, why not just cast a fat guy? Yeah, but also like we do, do, don't do the need same thing for like Dick Roger Ailes. Uh, right? yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I never saw it's it. A, it's just you know look at look at how great an actor I am. I'm wearing a lot of makeup, but um, the thing about Cats is, do you guys think it'll do well? Yes, I think it's the perfect Christmas film. Wait, what? Interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. With Portrait of a Lady on Fire also coming out. In no, no one. It's going to do. <laughs> and, and, and that's the great tragedy. Everybody goes to see Cats and The Rise of Skywalker should go to see Portrait of a Lady no, on Fire. Look, I, I can see where you're coming from. Finally, we agree. I can see where you're coming from saying it's the it's the perfect Christmas film because, you know, it's a family musical with a with like a prestige kind of bent to it. It does very much feel like what has succeeded at this time period in the past. And, and you know, but I think... 
I think enough people will be put off by the look of the cats, and the I don't think I think the anti hype will catch on. I don't think it's going to be just limited to loud people on the internet. I think that there's a big enough contingent of people that are going to look at the trailers and say, what the hell is that? That it's going to stop this movie from really catching on as as much as it will need to because it looks really expensive. You know what? I remember in 2003 going to see Return of the King at the cinema and there were two massive lines. The Return of the King line was bigger. The other line was for Love Actually. Now, I'm not comparing Love Actually to the cats or saying the crowds are um, the same in any sort of way, but... I think they're going for that audience. They're going for that audience who don't want to see The Rise of Skywalker because yeah. it's the only other film that's going to be out, yeah. and that's what they're going to see. So they're going to make a lot of money. And releasing it at the Christmas means that there's holidays in um, and a long time period for people to seek it out. With the Oscar kind of thing tying in, I think they're hoping for at least some Oscar production, cinematography, best song kind of thing. Okay, I'm going to go for a hot take, uh, putting all my credibility out there. I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to make more money than Cats and well, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. No, I don't think it's going to make money than Rise of Skywalker. I, I know. I don't think but, it's... But, no, yeah, it, maybe it'll make more money than... Uh, it's going to win more hearts. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, it'll, make, maybe it'll make more money than, uh, like, it'll make... Red Dog? No. I don't know. Uh, no. Maybe it'll... I'm trying to think, like... Uh, uh, what's coming out at the what's, end? Of, what's what, the benchmark? What else coming out at the end of the day? I think it's just Rise of Skywalker, and it'll make more more money than some other small palace yeah, films like, release. Yeah, it was it was weird that this they is, put this it is out the ultimate on, on, we live on... in a bubble moment. It's going to make more money than cats. But nope. okay, guys, I'm just <laughs> no, saying it right really now. Uh, uh, go see Portrait <laughs> instead of Rise of Skywalker or Cats. Yeah, we will remind you in six months' time. But it is six months, almost the date. Wow. You better be working, uh, man. You just know that some CG workers are just going into horrible crunch right now after the reactions to that trailer. Not necessarily. You don't think so? Uh, You think they're just like, ah, it's just the internet. They like to complain. I I think there are people going to see it. So that is Cats, God Help Us, and it is in (laughs) cinemas come December. And Taiwan Film Festival is in cinemas. It's Adventure Cinemas George Street tomorrow. And yeah, so uh, we will be bringing you more coverage of cats as more trailers and clips land. Uh, dear me, uh, the internet will have some fun with this one, I am sure. Regardless of the uh, regardless of the quality of the film. Remember when Tom Hooper beat David Fincher for best director? Uh, <laughs> King's Speech. What are the for Gone Girl? Uh, no, Social Network. The Social oh. Network, I think, was very oh, well God, directed. Right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, the yeah. Social Network deserved it over the King's Speech. Yeah, David Fincher's never won a best director Oscar. No. But then Jesse no. Eisenberg just did the same role over and over again. So. Did he? Really? Well, he was perfectly cast in Social yeah, Network. Yeah, so. he was just playing himself back then. Yeah. I, I love the scene in the bar where she's explaining to him, if people don't like you years from now, just know it's not because you're rich. It's because you're, you're an asshole. asshole. Yeah. So, oh, the whole film. Actually, yeah. I, I love the Andrew Garfield was really good scene. too. Yeah. He was. He was really good. Andrew Garfield's fantastic. It's a shame that the bad decision to play Spider-Man seems to have killed his career. He was really good in Silence as well. Oh, fantastic. And he was also quite good in um, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah. And yeah. and Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. Oh, that's he's not a, gr- a great film. No, it's not a great film. But, but he was really good. Was he really was really good. good. Did anyone see the one he did with Claire Foy uh, about polio? Where he was the... Uh, oh, no, Breath. 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 Yeah. Breathe. Breath. Breath. Breathe. Breathe. Yeah. Breath. Because there was yeah. Breathe is the one with the same Rami film. But Breath uh, is the... No, that's yeah. Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe. Sorry, That he right. produced. No, I think... Breath is the Tim Winton adaptation, and this one is Breathe. Yeah, it is Breathe. Yeah, right, Tim Winton yeah. is yeah, the 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 with the mentalist Simon, guy, Simon Simon uh, Simon the Baker. Simon Baker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he directed it and started in it, Tim appeared in it, yeah. was everything in it. 
Is that one? So, yep. Um, have a wonderful night. Yeah. God Pat, hope. Enjoy that cats. Don't. Give, give your cat a hug. Make sure they're nowhere near Tom Hooper. And go watch. Book oh God, are, are we casting aspersions <laughs> on the character of Tom Hooper now? Is that what Film Fight Club has come to? <laughs> surely he's just, they've just got random cats and like throwing them in the background. Like surely yeah. they've done that. But the thing is, like the scale in this, I would be worried that the cat that cats would just like eat the characters from this movie. They look like little mice scurrying around. You know, they do look like they would be running from cats. Portrait of cats on fire. I would watch that. I, I hope they just mess with us with the scale. Like they throw in like giant giant mice <laughs> that the little cat people can run from. That would be good. Yeah, I, I would. I would kill for a shot of Judy Dench running away from giant mice. Ian McKellen. <laughs> Ian McKellen. Like, Ian McKellen oh looks alright in it, but like. But he James, he just okay, looks like Ian McKellen. The thing about James Corden. Face. Yeah. You do. Oh, oh, so James Corden is wearing clothes. No one else is wearing clothes. <laughs> Except no, uh, McCavity is. Yep. And and Judy Robert Dench, James. Judy Dench is wearing a fur coat. Confusingly, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't seem over, okay. Over, over on top of the actual fur coat, she's carrying. Yeah, like, but um. <laughs> so yeah, that's another one of the questions. Why is it that some of the cats are naked and some of them wear clothes? Um, There's a lot of weird creative choices here. <laughs> a lot just... of unanswered questions we have to answer come December. But yeah, they're, they're just, at on first glance, there appear to be a lot of bizarre creative choices that are deeply confusing. Anyway. Yeah. Cats. Cats. Have a, have a good night. Uh, and if, if Enjoy you, cats if, memes. Yeah, for the next six months yeah. and yeah. time memorial. Uh, good night. And if you want to have a good night, yeah, if you want to sleep, the next don't day watch the cat's don't watch the catch trailer. Yeah, Demi. Yeah. I, as we were just recording, I thought we were wrapping up, and because I, you know, when I look at my phone, because I just got a, a text message, and I see it's about the cat's trailer. So, oh God, we, we, we're gonna we're gonna rewatch it. Whatever yeah, it's it is, just, now. it's not going to leave me anytime it's, soon. I, I guess, yeah, that is targeted native advertising. You know, that is the next level. That's where we're at. We're being watched. Have a good night. Enjoy movies. See you next week. Jellicle, so to jellicle cats, jellicle, so to jellicle cats, jellicle.